The Inadvisable Trapdoor The only devil's the one that puts you here. Unspeakable rights. In this cavern. In this cavern. In this cavern, pagan man performed his unspeakable rights. Well, in that case, I love Satan. And he looked like the devil! Do you believe in hell? Aye. So do you believe in the devil? Aye. What do you think he looks like? Looks like that, doesn't he? He looks like a snake. The only devil's the one that puts you here. You want me to die? You want me to die? Stuart! You want me to die? Come on, you do it louder! Die! 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 You want me to die? You want me to die? You want me to die? You're going to die! I don't want to die. I'm not over keen on dying at all. You're going to die. I'm not dead! You're going to die. I'm not dead! You want me to die? You want me to die? You want me to die? Mr. Keeler, try not to distress yourself. Mr. Chase ordered this meal for you, sir. You're going to die!
you can have people saying this is this is ridiculous it's in your head even if these things are extreme and involve all the senses and all hours of the day the trauma and the imprint that they left behind on me and my family is still felt today okay well hello everyone i'm kate cheryl i'm a writer and a speaker you can loosely call me a paranormal historian and I write about all manner of deathly related things and so-called dark history. I was, let's say, between the ages of about 11 and 14, my sister had bought this very normal semi-detached house in Grimsby. And I spent a lot of time there because my mum was working and you had to give my grandparents a break. Um, because, God, I must have been tiresome. But they, they put up with me and I, I stayed there a lot. And their house wasn't right. From the beginning, they were still quite young. They were in their um, early and mid-twenties at the time. And spending so much time in this house taught me that the supernatural wasn't just something I read about or watched on TV or heard Arthur C. Clarke or Michael Aspel talk about, but it was actually real and upsetting and isolating. Because in that house, it, it never felt right from the off. It was always too cold. The air always felt too thick. And then over time, we started seeing lights, like active slashes of lights moving up and down the stairs and on the landing. And they'd be different types, they'd be blobs, one would almost be like a, a curve, like a hoof shape. One would be just like a glowing ball. And we'd see them in all hours of the day. It wasn't at night, it wasn't reflections. We'd all see them and you would not find anyone more skeptical or more dismissive than my sister and her husband at that time. But this went on for a very long period of time and it progressed to hearing footsteps. And when I was sleeping upstairs, you'd hear, well, again, it was all hours of the day, but it freaked you out most, it unsettled you most at night. When you'd be, well, I'd be, I'd be laid in bed in the back bedroom and I'd look out onto the landing and I'd watch my sister's dog sit at the top of the stairs and watch whatever it was making these footsteps and it was heavy footsteps up the stairs around in a loop on the landing either into my bedroom or into my sister's bedroom and back around and it would be it would be a cycle all night and it was it wasn't creaking it wasn't like what you expect to see on paranormal tv shows where you hear a little creak and someone goes oh, was that a footstep this was as strong and as real as a very big sturdy man walking up and down these stairs. And it ultimately culminated in, in seeing this, this figure first in, in part. So we'd see almost like a part of an arm, part of someone just walk into my bedroom, but a black figure sort of surrounded by static, like TV static is the only way I can describe it. 
and we just start seeing little bits of someone human size going into my bedroom, into my sister's bedroom, into the bathroom. And then it, it seemed over time to just grow in confidence. And from seeing an arm, we'd see half a figure stood in the doorway looking out at us. And that eventually grew to well, the, the worst experience that my sister and I had almost in consecutive nights, she and her husband all woke up, uh, and the dog, of course, woke up in the middle of the night, looked across their bed, and they saw the full figure of a man, a heavy, big, black figure of a man staring at them. And it, it lasted for up to a minute, even after they'd turned the lights on. And then they didn't tell me about it, obviously, because I was already a bit of an odd bod and not having the best time at school. But then a few nights later, the same thing happened in my bedroom, except he was stood in the corner of my bedroom and staring at me as if he just didn't know what I was or or what I was doing there. And then eventually I heard footsteps over to my bed and just about screamed the house down. Those experiences that then progressed into this, this very horrible few years, they ultimately ended up sleeping downstairs on a mattress because we just couldn't use the upstairs anymore. And if you had to go to the toilet, you had to go in twos. And someone would, would you know, keep the door partially open just in case he appeared in the bath. Or if he'd, or if anything would move, because things had started to move around the house, things got thrown. It sounds so extreme. It sounds, it sounds unreal. It sounds just like a, a normal poltergeist script. It doesn't sound like anything that actually tangibly happened. But it did, and it happened over about two or three years, and then they could finally sell the house and get out. And it wasn't anything that I ever exploited, and I never mentioned it through years and years and years of writing about paranormal. We're talking 20 years later. And it's only this year that I've started talking about those experiences because it's affected me so deeply that it was... I, I think for me, that's, that's what I hold up as the reason why some people who believe that they have something in their house or something around them may not feel comfortable talking to others about it. Because of course, that, you, you can have people saying, this is, this is ridiculous, it's in your head, even if these things are extreme and involve all the senses and all hours of the day. The trauma and the imprint that they left behind on me and my family is still felt today. It's, it's horrid, it's, it's resonant, it's, it's real. And we've never shaken that. And after I started speaking about these experiences again recently, the nightmares that I hadn't experienced in about 15 years came back 
tenfold for about a, a week solid where I'd wake up screaming, which is far less expected at my age than, than as a teenager. So those years while that was going on, I struggled to find any comfort in the paranormal because it felt very real. It felt like it had, it had jumped out of the book and it had invaded my life and invaded my family's life. And it, it wrecked, wrecked our family completely. It left us all nervous wrecks. And my sister's husband won't talk about it. My sister has only, has been very, very generous and spoken with me about it this year as we tried to write everything down. We felt like it might be cathartic, it might be um, therapeutic almost to put it into a narrative just so we've got it for ourselves. It was, it was very, as horrible as the events were, it was strangely validating for both of us that we could both say we haven't ever recovered from this, we've dealt with it in different ways. And both of us dealt with it by not really talking about it afterwards because we just needed to get it out of our minds. I think people that have these experiences and then can immediately go and, and write a book or talk publicly about it are far stronger than me. Yeah, it's, it's never something that seemed viable for me, but certainly during those years, it was a very, very negative presence in my life. You know that Jennifer from Grieve Street? Yeah, the one with the coat. Well, Terry said she had some work done, you know? A bit of maintenance. Because she was coming up to 40. I mean, she looks good for it, but she wanted to just a bit of sort of conservation, you know? Keep yourself looking young. She does a bit of burlesque and that. She's quite good apparently. Classy, you know? So, she gets hold of this voucher and it's for this guy who's really good. Normally really expensive. Proper doctor and everything. Great reviews. So she goes in and all she wants is a bit of Botox and fillers. Nothing dramatic, all really subtle. Anyway, she comes out looking exactly like Dustin Hoffman. Like, exactly like Dustin Hoffman. Quite a young Dustin Hoffman. But exactly like Dustin Hoffman. Well, she was gutted. Couldn't stop crying. And her dog kept barking at her, like, couldn't get used to it. Well, she spent about three weeks, couldn't get out of bed. She'd been a real looker, you know, always valued her looks. She couldn't look in the mirror, had to get rid of the dog. She got well depressed. 
until her sister-in-law suggested maybe getting work as a look-alike. So she ended up combining the burlesque with the whole Dustin Hoffman thing. It turns out there's a massive market for that sort of thing. She's put a new car now. Unbelievable. The Inadvisable Trapdoor is written and produced by me, Andrew O'Neill. If you dig this podcast and you dig what I do, please consider signing up to my Patreon. That supports my work, gives me a regular wage, and it balances out the madness of being an artist. Patreon.com slash Andrew O'Neill. You can sign up for as little as a pound or as much as you want. There's no upper limit. I make three things a month on average, and I will never charge for more than three things. You can set a cap. I would ask that you maybe donate the price of a pint every month, but really it's up to you. Whatever you can afford, whatever you feel right. The inadvisable trapdoor cannot exist without you. But if you're skint, you get it for free. Because people who aren't skint pay for it. Just like every other fucking podcast. But this is not every other podcast. This is the inadvisable trapdoor. They had a game. Catch the greasy pig. They greased up a pig with lard, which was immediately distressing for the pig. Partly because of the sensation. It was a fastidious pig. It didn't like being dirty. But also because the pig knew that lard came from an animal that the humans had killed. Maybe one it had met before, a colleague. The pig was released and it ran. Ran for its life, tried to get away, but the children kept grabbing at it, grabbing at the greasy pig, trying to capture it. Their little arms and lack of tactics meant they couldn't get the pig. The teachers and parents were laughing. The children were laughing and getting greasy. The pig seemed exhausted. The children were delighted. The parents were getting greasy. The children were getting greasy. The playground, the slide and the swings and the seesaw were getting greasy. And then the pig stood up on its hind legs. A look came across its eyes. One of the children started crying. The head teacher mouthed the word, no. The pig blew a whistle. Everything went dark. 
everything went dark. And then, all the other pigs arrived. All the other pigs arrived. The inadvisable trapdoor. Okay, well, I'm not being funny, but, well, you know, next door has been on sale forever. Yeah. I mean, it was really overgrown. I thought they'd never sell it. Because there's just so much work needs doing. All sorts of I mean, a lot of people who, well, I'm not being funny. People who don't really fear the street. You know, not really, not really our sort of people. Well, anyway, we never actually saw them moving in. I don't know. I think they must have just moved in overnight or something. I mean, we didn't hear anything, and then suddenly they were just moved in, just like that. First of all, there's a lot of them. And obviously, I'm not being, you know, but there's a lot of them. No, we hear them all hours stomping about up and down the stairs. No, we didn't see any of them for the first two weeks. Well, see, I don't think they work. We've never seen them go to work. God knows what it is they're doing in there, but they don't go to work. Well, Working from home's not the same, is it? I'm not being funny, but you can't consider that a proper job. Anyway, the point is, I caught a glimpse last night in their back window. No, I was in the garden. No, over the fence. No, they're on the other side, the tall fence. Well, standing on a box. No, I wasn't. I wasn't prying. No, you're missing the point. I'm not being funny, but I think they're Cybermen. Yeah. You know, Cybermen. Yeah, from Doctor Who. Cybermen. Well, I mean, no wonder they don't work. what mum would have thought on her street. Well, I'm not being funny, but we are thinking again about maybe moving. screwed up my life completely and I'm fortunate because I got out. Who have had to counsel those who were victims. My children have seen evil and been touched by evil and thankfully now they are beginning to know some other life. The feeling of wanting vengeance. They've had ritualistic things done to them with snakes, with crucifixes. They've been taught to pray to the devil. Well, they were in fact brainwashed. 
most of these people are Jean Bolonovsky. Well, it'd been made to eat human secretion. He'd been drugged. Jean Bolonovsky. It's changed his whole attitude. He's petrified of going out on his own. Plus, um, whenever we did go out, he kept saying there was... Jean Bolonovsky. ...following him. Jean Bolonovsky. Eventually, I got back in with Jean Bolonovsky. But it appeared at the time she was rather frightened of me. She thought you were a source of evil, perhaps. Yeah. But you didn't really know how far you'd gone and what you were dabbling in. The inadvisable trapdoor is now closing. You can find the incredible Kate Cheryl at burialsandbeyond.com and also on the telly. The full hour-long interview I did with Kate is up on my Patreon, patreon.com. It's an incredible conversation that covers all sorts of topics. I would like to thank Will Hodgson for being the West Country Dustin Hoffman plastic surgery raconteur. Will is an incredible stand-up comedian, and they have a special on YouTube called Barbicidal Tendencies. There's a link in the show description. Emily Carding was your gossipy Cyberman neighbour. Emily's an incredible actor, and you can find Emily's stuff at emilycarding.com. I have been Andrew O'Neill. Thank you for your love and your support. And if you are listening to this, as many do, while you're drifting off to sleep, WAKE UP!